Chapter 11, The Windmill Comes to Life. The following afternoon, I began, began assembling the machine. I dragged the bicycle, tractor fan, blades, bolts, and dynamo outside and arranged them along the dirt. I'd chosen an area behind the kitchen, which doubled as my laboratory. The acacia tree provided plenty of shade against the mid-morning sun, and I'd also determined it was the ideal place to catch the eastern winds that rushed over the highlands from the lake. The first thing I wanted to do was connect the blades to the tractor fan. I called for a drill. So I went into the kitchen and stuck the cob-handled nail into the fire, and once it glowed hot, I bored a square pattern of four holes into the top of each plastic blade, plus two more in the center. This process of heating, melting, and reheating took nearly three hours. Next, I emptied the sack of nuts and bolts that Gilbert had given me onto the ground and started to fasten the first blade. That's when I realized I'd forgotten the washers. I shouted, frustrated with myself. Well, I definitely needed washers to secure the bolts, so I spent the next hour collecting bottle caps outside Ofessi Boozing Center. Once I hit about 20, I hurried home, hammered them flat, and used a nail to poke a hole through the middles. Perfect. One by one, I drove bolts through each washer and tightened the nuts until all four blades were connected. Lastly, I wanted to make sure the blades were strong and wouldn't snap in a heavy wind. So I wired three-foot bamboo reinforcements to each one, where they acted like bones. Okay, now, I said, let's have a look. I stood back to examine my work. From end to end, the wingspan of the blade stretched more than eight feet, causing me to giggle with excitement. It was then that I noticed the compound was empty. My sisters were off running errands, and my father was attending a funeral in a nearby village. Besides my clinking and hammering, the only other noise was my mother humming to herself in the kitchen as she prepared a pot of beans for our supper. The privilege of privacy was mine, and I fell into deep concentration. The next thing was to figure out how to connect everything to the bicycle, which wasn't going to be easy. I started by studying the blades atop four tall bricks like how a mechanic puts a carb on blocks, so I would have some room to work underneath. Then came the hard part. The bicycle was not only heavy, but cumbersome, especially with a giant shock absorber sticking out of the crankshed. But I managed to lift it high enough to flip it over, but then dropped the shock absorber into the center hole of the tractor fan. Quickly, I crouched down underneath the bricks and jammed a cotter pin through the other end, locking it tight. Finally, I attached the dynamo to the bike frame so its metal wheel hugged against the sidewall of the tire. I strung the chain, which was coated in warm black grease, over the crank set and made sure it held tight against the sprockets. By the time I finished the chain, the sun was heading behind the trees and soon it would be too dark to work. I packed my tools away in my room, then moved the windmill against the wall of the kitchen and out of the way. I drew a bucket of water from the well and heated it for my bath, and after bathing, headed inside for my supper. By then, my sister Rose had returned from the shops and saw me in the courtyard. William, we haven't seen you all day, she said. People in the tr trading center were asking about you. Well, today your brother was busy, I said. I told them you were playing with your medals to make power. Something like that, I said, smiling. Just wait. Soon you'll be in for a surprise, along with everyone else. I ate my supper like a real working man, saying nothing except to utter a few well-orchestrated grunts. When I finished eating, I returned to my room, laid on my bed, 
and I was asleep in seconds. The following morning, I was awake at first light and ready to continue. My plan was to build a tall wooden tower for the windmill, but first I had to see if it even worked. For this, I needed something temporary, so I found a thick piece of bamboo more than six inches wide and bored a hole through the top, then drove the other end into the dirt. I finished just in time to see Jeffrey ride up on his bicycle from Chipumba. It happened to be his day off, and he was coming to visit me. And man, just in time, I said. Is this the same project you were working on? Yeah, this is everything. I'm glad you're here, friend. Help me lift this thing. We locked up the bicycle wheel and chain to keep them from spinning, then carefully hoisted the machine onto the pole. I was out of rope, so once it felt sturdy, Jeffrey secured it using long strips from an inner tube. Shall we? He asked. We shall. Jeffrey unlocked the tires so the blades would spin, except we didn't realize how quickly this would happen. In Malawi, the wind is never still. Within seconds, the blades were spinning so fast, the chain snapped in half and the pole nearly tipped over. Hold it, I shouted. Jeffrey and I barely managed to catch the machine before it crashed to the ground and broke apart. Once we had a grip, I twisted the pole and turned the blades out of the wind's direction. Then I spent the next two hours fixing the chain. The main reason for the test was to see if the dynamo produced enough current. I already knew it could power a small bicycle lamp, but what else? I went to my father's room and grabbed his international radio, which was forbidden to me, given my history with the family's other electronics. When I returned, Jeffrey gave me a look. Does your father know you're borrowing this, he asked. I waved him off. He's in the trading center. He'll never know it's gone. I jammed the dynamo's two wires into the radio's AC socket and Jeffrey unlocked the windmill blades. They began to twirl and the dynamo's metal wheel zipped against the spinning tire. For the slightest moment, I heard music. It worked. But a second later, black smoke started to pour out of the speakers. Oh no, Jeffrey said and ripped out the wires. The radio sat on the ground between us, sizzling like an egg. He spun around looking for my father, but I was too excited to care. Did you see that power? I screamed, jumping up and down. Did you see it? The radio blew up because the dynamo produced too many volts of electricity. Voltage, as I'd learned in my books, is how you measure electric pressure. Think of it like water pressure coming out of a hose. The dynamo produced 12 volts when someone was pedaling like normal. This was enough for a radio or a light bulb to manage. But when the wind gusted and spun the blades like mad... It caused a power surge that increased the voltage and fried my father's radio. I had to figure out how to reduce it. I flipped through explaining physics to where it showed a diagram of two separate light bulbs, both being lit from a low 12-volt AC battery, exactly like the dynamo. Both bulbs were connected by long wires. One bulb burned very bright, all because of something called a transformer, which boosted the voltage and made it stronger but the second bulb didn't have a transformer and glowed dim and yellow. That's because without the transformer, power was lost in the form of heat on its journey through the wires, something called dissipation. Mr. Jeffrey, I said, since energy can be lost in the wires when traveling long distances, perhaps we can try this on the dynamo. I went into our big pile of radio parts and found an old motor. I cracked it open removed the core, and unwound the long copper wire. 
I then wrapped it around a stick, creating my own kind of reverse transformer. I attached one end of the wire to the dynamo and the other end to my father's radio, which somehow managed to survive the power surge. Just like in the book, I was giving the electricity an extra long road to travel, hoping some of its voltage would get lost along the way. Okay, try it again, I said to Jeffrey. He unlocked the blades and the wheel and the dynamo began to whir. This time, there was only music. Our test was complete. The windmill sat on the bamboo pole for two days, hidden behind the house and out of sight. In the meantime, Jeffrey, Gilbert, and I set out to build a real tower. The three of us met in front of my house one morning with our panga machetes and walked into the blue gum forest. It was the same grove of trees where I sought refuge from the bubblegum curse and where I'd accepted Shibani's magic, only to be beaten that day in Dawa. And now it was where I went to build my ladder to science. We walked through the forest, looking carefully at each tree. Finally, we chose one that was about 18 feet high. We tore into the trunk with our blades, and after 10 minutes, the tree crashed to the ground. We used our pingas to prune the branches, then stripped the thin bark with our hands. By 3 o'clock, we'd felled and cleaned two additional trees and were hoisting them onto our shoulders, headed home. Just behind the kitchen, we set up the poles deep in the ground, each one the same distance from the other. Each pole was wrapped in jumbo bags to keep out the termites. We took smaller branches and nailed them sideways like runs of a ladder, using nails that Jeffrey had brought using his pay from the maize mills. By sundown, the tower was complete. It stood 15 feet high and was remarkably sturdy. However, from just a short distance away, its long and spindly legs gave it the appearance of a wobbly giraffe. Get some sleep, gents. Tomorrow, we raised machine. I could barely sleep that night and was out the door before the rooster even crowed. When I rounded the kitchen, Gilbert and Jeffrey were already standing by the tower. Look who decided to sleep late, Jeffrey said. I was so happy to see them. The windmill's frame weighed about 90 pounds, and the only way to hoist it up the tower was by rope and pulley. I didn't have any rope, so I had to borrow my mother's wire clothesline instead. I fastened one end to the crude handle that I made on the windmill from a piece of bamboo. I climbed the tower with the other end and looped it over the top rung and dropped it down to Gilbert. From where I stood, I could see over the trees to where the patchwork of fields and forests joined the highlands. Okay, Gilbert, I said, bring it up. Slowly, he began to pull. The bamboo handle lifted in the air, followed by a large gangly frame. Easy now. Jeffrey stood below me on a lower rung to guide the machine as it climbed. The three of us now pulled with all of our strength. Come on, guys, let's use those muscles, I shouted. I'm pulling as hard as I can, said Gilbert, straining under the weight. Don't let it slip, Jeffrey. With each pull, the windmill lurched sideways and banged its cumbersome blades against the wood. A couple of times they got stuck in the rungs and Jeffrey had to knock them loose. Little by little, it made its way up the tower. After half an hour, we finally had to, it close to the top. When it came within reach, I grabbed the handle and screamed to Gilbert, tie it down. Gilbert looped the wire around the base pole and the windmill held. Jeffrey joined me at the top to secure the machine in place. The day before, we drilled two holes in the wooden poles. My hot nail drill wasn't big enough, so I had to use flat bolts instead, a process that took hours. We'd also asked Mr. Godston to cut down two holes in the bicycle's crossbar with his welding gun. 
Standing atop the tower, Jeffrey fished the nuts and bolts from his pocket while I held the frame and tried to align the holes. I could feel it slipping. Hurry, this thing is heavy, I said. Jeffrey slid in the bolts and tightened them with a wrench. Once everything was fastened, we looked at each other and smiled. The machine felt sturdy and very strong. While Jeffrey made his way down the tower, I remained atop my perch to take in the scenery. To the north, I could see the iron sheet roofs from the trading center and the rows of brown huts that sat behind the market. As I admired the view, I noticed something strange. A line of people had emerged and were heading in my direction. They must have seen the tower from the distance and were curious to have a look. We have visitors, I said. Within minutes, a dozen people gathered at the base and gazed up at the machine. I recognized a few of them as traders and shopkeepers. One was named Kalino. What is this thing, he asked. Since there was no word in Chichawa for windmill, I used the phrase that meant electric wind. What does it do? Generates electricity from the wind. That's impossible, Kalino said laughing. He turned to get a reaction from the crowd. It looks like a radio tower. And what kind of silly toy is that? Well, I said, just stand back and watch. I climbed down from the tower and ran into my room for the final piece. That morning, I'd found a thick reed and cut a section about 10 inches long. I then wrapped a long copper wire around the base of a headlamp bulb and strung it through, creating a light socket. Holding the socket in the bulb, I climbed the tower and connected the wires to the ones from the dynamo. As I worked, more and more people arrived and I could hear their chatter. What do you suppose he's doing now? asked the farmer. This is the masala from the scrapyard my children were talking about. Think about his poor mother. Peering out, I saw my parents and sisters at the back of the crowd. Their eyes were wide and their jaws hung slightly open, the way some soccer fans look when clustered around the radio. Except this time, it was me who had the ball with only seconds left on the clock. My hands trembled from nerves, but I was confident. I'd prepare this moment for months. Let's see how crazy this boy really is, I heard someone shout. A steady wind whistled through the tower, mixing the smells of chin grease and melted plastic. Even though the wheel remained locked, the machine groaned against the breeze, as if begging me to release it. I looked down at Gilbert and Jeffrey and nodded. Here it goes, I thought. I jerked the wheel loose and the blades began to spin. The chain snapped tight against the crankset and the tire slowly turned. Everything happened in slow motion. Come on, I said, don't embarrass me now. Just then a strong gust flung me backward. The tower began to rock so much that I wrapped my elbow around the rung just to hang on. Inches above my head, the blades began to buzz like a set of angry propellers. I clutched the bulb waiting for my miracle. Then it came, a flicker, a flash, and a burst of light, magnificent light. My heart nearly exploded. Look, he's made light. It's true what he said. A group of ch children pushed through the crowd. Look to see how it spins. Let me see. I threw my hands into the air and shouted with joy, laughing so hard that I became dizzy. I held the bulb in triumph and addressed the unbelievers. Electric wind, I told you I wasn't mad. Well done, you did it, Will William. That's right, I said, and now I'm going bigger. Just you wait and see.